Welcome to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. Here are your hosts, Jared and Zach. Well, hello, everyone. This is Jared, and with me always... It's Zach. Zach, nothing says Christmas to me like murder? Uh... No, I usually never think of murder when I think of Christmas. Well, that's what's so funny. I just, when I was putting our schedule together, I didn't even consider like, yeah, heart of December, let's play 50 Clues. <laughs> it's so funny because this game, if you're on a darkness scale, is pretty far up that darkness scale. And I just think it's hilarious that in the midst of some of the other things that we're going to be playing and talking about later on this month, here we have this game that like flies in the face of the Christmas season. <laughs> Peace on earth, goodwill to men, not in 50 clues. Correct. But uh, this is actually a, a really, really great game. Just one thing I've never had in my life is timing. So let's just keep that theme going as we, as we move forward. But hang around with us. We'll be right back. Jared, 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 I found this really cool box outside. Can we please, 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 can we open it? Are you out of your mind? Look what it says on the box. It literally reads root of all evil. There's no way we're opening this box. Oh, come on, Jared. What's the worst that can happen? What's the worst? That... Have you ever seen a horror movie? Listen, you don't split up your team. The basement is not a good hiding place. You don't give cute little creatures water. And above all, you don't open the mysterious and creepy box with the word evil on it. Please, Jared. No. But if you're listening and you have more guts than me, you should actually head over to crackinutmysteries.com and pick up a copy of Root of All Evil. Um, Jared, I think I need to tell you something. Welcome back, everybody, to Puzzling Company. Here in this section of the show, we get to talk about the games that we've played. And for today, we actually played the entire Leopold series from 50 Clues, which is part one, The Pendulum of the Dead. Part two is called White Sleep. And part three is The Fate of Leopold. Zach, why don't you give our audience a little rundown of what to expect a little bit and kind of the, the gameplay nature of this game? Yeah, so they give you like a really good introduction when you open up the box. Inside the box is around an average of like 50-ish cards for each of the parts. The first two cards give you an introduction um, to kind of explain how the game goes. So on the first card, it gives you like a basic. The second card explains how the game will actually play. Um, there are multiple different types of cards as well as information on each card. The first card, or the, they'll kind of explain that you can find information in the background of different cards, kind of like lightly fainted. And those are cards you can look at if you find those. There is like an entering system online where you can combine two cards using these red color numbers. And then there's uh, codes you can also put in, which are usually used with like mechanisms or they're by themselves, like when you choose options to yes. do things. But that's how kind of the game goes is that you'll kind of go through the set of the deck of cards and try to solve these different puzzles and situations. Yeah. And the gameplay itself is a lot of, I would call traditional 
escape room puzzling mixed in with some like real life logic. Yeah. Kind of, it, it felt a little bit similar to adventure games. Yeah, it kind of does. It had a similar vibe if you've uh, listened with us and played the games on the last episode. But what I want to do now is I want to jump into the likes because this is a very unique game. To my knowledge, we have played games that have are similar formats, similar puzzling, but kind of with the things that we enjoyed, we haven't gone this far on a certain spectrum. Would you agree, Zach? Yes. Uh, I don't think we've played a game that is darker in tone. Yes. And that's a like for us. Tell, yeah. tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So the game is made to be very graphic, not in terms of like it's crazy, but it, it does have like death and other things in it. There are things you will do to other characters in the game uh, that... Hopefully you would never do in real life. Correct. <laughs> but you have to do. Um, yes. You will have to do certain things that you would be surprised to do Uh commit certain crimes, things like that, to achieve your goal in each of them. It is very clear and stated that this is not for kids. Very clearly stated. Do not play this game with children. Let me repeat that. Do not play this game with children. Correct. Uh, It is very dark at times, but it's really fun. It kind of involves around you playing this. You, You get to play actually as this character named Maria and go down this gigantic rabbit hole of what her quest is. And it sounds nuts at first, and it's nuts the entire time. Yes, and I really do want to reiterate, this is a darker game. You will be doing some things that you might consider morally objectionable, and hopefully so in real life. But that's really kind of where the edge of this game is, is it was interesting, and I don't know how you feel about Zach, to realize what had to be done. And then to kind of have the gall to do it. Yeah, I mean, there was definitely points where we were like, okay, we have these very interesting items. And then an event would play out and it goes like, okay, how do you deal with this? And it's like, okay, with how the game has started, we're going down a dark path and you're going to make... I will say the interesting part in this game is that there is a few points in the series where you get to make choices that do lean more towards not doing a lot of bad things and a route that kind of does, but it's only for like mainly one part. Yes. Yes. But it's, it's interesting because we did enjoy the, the kind of the shock of it. I wasn't ready in the, the pendulum of the dead when that first big shocking moment happened. But by the time that we got to the shocking moments of the fate of Leopold, I almost felt equipped to do bad more easily. Oh yeah. Like I'd say the pendulum of dead does about two things that would shock you. And then white sleep goes, okay, let's amp it up a <laughs> hundred. And then you kind of settle out in fate of Leopold. And, and it doesn't, in my opinion, like the things that you do in the fate of Leopold aren't more shocking. It's just you're like, just prepared for you're them. just, you're prepared and you're like, oh, this is what has to be done. To kind of give you a basic story without spoiling anything so you understand, you play as Maria, who is this lady who has been put in a mental asylum. Which is, which is, I want to clarify, kind of our second like of this game is you're playing, in essence, the a psychotic killer. You like that is your avatar. Yeah, we don't. Okay, to be clear, I don't know if we know she's killed people until we play the events of our game, which we don't want to spoil what happens when you play as sure. the actual character. But if I remember correctly, technically there's a demo game that explains the setup for this. Yes. And that you are blamed. The Maria has been the one who is put on trial and is the one in the asylum for killing a kid like five years before the game starts. 
And then as the game goes on and she's psychotic and she thinks to explain the story without spoiling, she thinks the soul of Leopold II, who is a very, very bad guy, if you know your history, uh, didn't die. And his soul has been bouncing between other dictators and very bad people throughout history and that you must stop him at all costs, at all costs. And in the games, it goes into more depth of like what your plan is to stop him. It's insane. <laughs> it really is. It just, nothing is, in my opinion, even anywhere like close to this game and what we've played so far. Yeah, most of the ones we've played that are darker are like, have like some like creepy element or have like a factor that death is involved. Yes. But this is the first one where we definitely do things that I would morally object to. And and, and the imaging, imagery in the game doesn't spare you from that either. Oh, no. No, like it am like some of those images will stick with me for better. Oh, I there's one card from the game from White Sleep that is my favorite card and I will keep it above my desk. <laughs> it's so it's so good. But it's but here's here's why I think this is if you're not objecting to playing these games, why I think this is good. Or I don't know if I want to use the word good, beneficial for the game. This is a memorable game. Oh yeah. Like beyond question, you cannot, I don't think I can forget the storyline, the characters, the events of the game. And we're always asking the question, how do you make a more immersive game? How do you make these things more memorable? This is a way that we haven't seen before that does do that, that category justice. Correct. Correct. Cause most of the things we play that have some element that are like tr more true, like true crime based games yes. where death is involved, but there's not much more than that. They might imply other things happen, but you don't see it or deal with it. Yes. And this is the first game where you clearly start doing things that are bad or not the good thing to do right. ever in real life. It is visually and narratively unrelenting. Correct. In its description of the world and the events that happen, which kind of a side note, Murder & Co., who is coming on our show in the new year, is more of a true crime, but promises similar things as I read through their Kickstarter. Very graphic, doesn't really spare you from anything. So I'm interesting to see if this is an angle that more people lean into. And, and I think it's kind of funny because in the escape room world, everyone's always saying like, oh, is it like Saw? Which is in the you know movie world, one of the most visual and kind of shocking stylizations and storytelling ways that we experience. And this kind of I don't want to say it was like Saw, but in its shock factor, it absolutely was. And we kind of discussed how the cards design or like the art style. Yes. It, it, that is our third like. The design such art style, it is all the cards are in black and white except for the color red. Yes. Which is used actually as a really good idea for signposting. Yes. As well as the show blood. <laughs> yeah. It, it was, I think, a brilliant idea, if I'm being honest, to leave out all color except black, white, and red and, and shades of gray, obviously sure. the scale of that. But I, I totally agree with you. It made puzzling better. It made the signposting. It, it feels like, Oh, if it's in red, like it's obvious. No, we, we struggled on some of the puzzles, but if that red signposting hadn't been there, we would have horrendously struggled on some of the puzzles, Yeah, but it made it, it made it so smart in my opinion, because you instantly knew what was important, but didn't necessarily know how it was important. Yeah. And that's a good puzzle, mm -hmm. in my opinion. It helped draw connections, but didn't just come out right and tell you. And we've talked about art in other games. I'm looking through the wall. 
and it's important. It's and I'm looking at the game cases right now. It's instantly engaging when you look at the boxes, and uh, in my opinion, even more. I'm going to say thorough and thoughtful when you play the game. Yeah, it hits the theme dead on the nose, and but it's not like overly done. Mm-hmm. So I think those three things, like if you're looking for something different, if you want a shock factor, if you like that horror dark genre, like this is your game because we're going to talk in room for improvements a little bit about the puzzling, but the puzzling was really good too. It just feels like all of this other stuff like outweighed that. This was a really good game. Yeah. Overall, I I would say. Oh, I really enjoyed it. And then to be very clear, our room for improvements when we discuss them are all very minor. And some of them, I think, are honestly personal. They're kind of just our opinion. I mean, obviously, at the end of the day, it's always our opinion. But they were very much like we were were looking. We were trying pretty hard to find room for improvements that we thought were very valuable. And there weren't. I, I totally agree with you. There are no big, like, overarching. They were all, like, small things. But I think they still bear... Oh, they're worth talking, talking about. about. Absolutely. Yeah. And and this first one, I want to even say our creator brought this up and we noticed it. Mm-hmm. So we thought it was worth talking about. And this could even, I think, be a broader conversation in our middle section for the games, but we're not going to go down that route today, is regional specific puzzles. There is a puzzle in this game that if you are European, I will say, it might be even more specific. It might be even more if you're Danish. This will make more sense. I don't know. I'm not knowledgeable enough to know how this system works country to country, and I don't want to spoil it. But we had no idea as Americans what the game wanted from us. Yeah, we had an idea of what the goal was, but with how it is presented, it is not common for Americans to know how to read that. Right. In terms of like, unless you've been there or understand like what the objective is, how you write that out. To the point where... We were working out the puzzle for the first time and we stopped yeah. because we were like, this is nonsense. And then we found out it was correct. The and then we time. found out it was correct. But then even when we had the correct knowledge, you needed regional specific knowledge to then yeah. answer the question correctly. Correct. And that is, that's hard. Like, I don't want to be super critical of the creator here because he made a decision. He even talks about that decision later on in our interview, but that is hard from a perspective. And I think this goes both ways. Like creators be aware of your regional specific systems to know how to best play that towards an international audience. If your game is available to an international audience. So that was one where we stumbled a lot where if, Heck, if we were Danish, we would have blown right through that. Zach, where do we other room for improvements come in this game? This is kind of a really small one. um, But I want to say it's, potential replayability issues. What do you mean by that? Okay, so I think the game is made to be replayable in terms of it's just cards. There's nothing that, like, on the cards you need to specifically do anything on them. Yeah, no folding, cutting. Yeah, there's nothing that would ruin the card from replayability. The issue is there are two puzzles that it feels like you need to write on the card to get it, like, or to make it easier. Specifically, there's one, uh, the other part of this game that I didn't say is that, and how the format plays, is that this game wants you to take your time and make the correct decision. It is not a game of speed. Now, the issue with, I say issue, the thing that counters that though, is that there are specific puzzles that do have a timer with them. If you care about your score. Correct. If you care about scoring, which scoring is important in this game, um, in terms of how it plays. So 
you make decisions, so you have to take your time, but then at certain moments you need to speed up if you want to get like a good score. But the issue, it feels like there was one puzzle that came with the timer that I'm really thinking of that it felt like I, sh I should have instantly wrote on the card if I want to have solved it like really quick for a score. But we didn't because we felt like we weren't supposed to, right? Or like we we wanted to, but at the same time, we were trying to make sure we didn't write on the cards. Yes. So we wasted time like setting it up on paper and then solving it. Or like we didn't write on it at all and we tried to like memorize in our heads what we were looking for. So it's very small. It's like a very minor thing, but it is a thing of like, it could cause replayability issues or you need to find something you can erase it with if you want to get the fastest time without taking precautions of not writing on the cards. Yeah, this is something I'm surprised you and I haven't talked about before in any game, honestly. I think if we went back through our other episodes, we could make the same accusation of a lot of games that call themselves like fundamentally replayable. Yeah. Is, yes, the game very specifically says, have some pen and paper ready, but some puzzles just feel innately easier to solve or more directly to solve if you're able to write directly on that. Yeah. And then if you do that and then you want to erase, well, it's, it's like very obvious to the next person. Yeah. So I feel like that's, that's an area that a, a lot of games in the replayable space who say they're replayable, if they're not offering a fresh extra for the next replay for the second and the third replay, Think about how your test groups innately would solve that instead of, I guess, necessarily saying to them, like, here's a piece of paper, because there were some puzzles, I will admit, that were more fun to solve on a piece of paper. But then I agree with you. I'm thinking of three or four puzzles in this game that it was like, I didn't do what I wanted to do because I felt like I wanted to leave it open for replayability in the future. And yeah. that was a weird tension. And specifically, I think two or three of those puzzles are timed ones. That's my, that's my like only real sure. complaint with that specific reasoning is that if it wasn't time-based or score-based and people know us, we like like playing competitively and getting a good score. Sure. So it is a little frustrating that specifically those two puzzles were timed. If they were all not timed, and I could take my time to write out the puzzle and like do it as quick as I could, I, I would feel better. But because there's a timer, it makes me feel even worse about making that decision of yes. like, do I write on it or do I write on a piece of paper now? And, you know, by the time I set up on the paper, I've already wasted six seconds, which depending on the, the puzzle, you already lose potentially score off that alone. And you're like, that's it could feel disappointing. Yes. No, I, I agree with you because I did think it was very unique that the game had a time element randomly. It was fun for those puzzles. And it fit. Yeah. Like it narratively fit with what was going on. And I thought that was really smart, but I do agree with you. Like it was difficult in those moments because I want to, you almost had to start scribbling and go, go, go and this. And I, yeah, I, I just think that those two things were at odds in this game, the score system with the replayability. And that kind of fits into my third room for improvement, which is beyond that, the scoring with some of the game logic was a little frustrating. And I want to kind of make a little bit of a dichotomy here before I talk about this, because in my mind, there were two types of puzzle categories in here. And I'm not talking puzzle types, talking puzzle categories. There were, like we mentioned, traditional escape room style puzzles in here. And then there was stuff that you couldn't really experience in an escape room. And I'll, I'll give an example. Let's say your objective was to kill a cockroach. And the items that you had were a lead pipe, 
a boot, a match, and a can of like air freshener, right? My initial logic would be like, in this game was like, use the boot and just squash it. But then what would happen in the game is like, oh, that boot was a soft healed boot and the cockroach lived minus one point. And you're like, what? Like it, it felt like th- there was a, a train of logic that the game wanted you to follow. And at the end of the day, you were going to get there, right? The hint system was good, but it was like, no, like good try. Or sometimes it was like, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do, but you needed to do this first. Right. So like in my cockroach analogy, it was like, or like if I would have tried to use the pipe, oh, it's too fast for you. So what you needed to do is light the match and spray the depressant to light the thing on fire. But then, oh, it's on fire and running around, but now it's a little softer. So now your boot could crush it. Does that make sense? Am I describing this well enough or am I way off on a tangent here, Zach? I personally think you're going on a little bit of tangent. I, I know what you're trying to say, and I know you're trying to say it without saying the specific puzzle that yes, we're talking it, about. Yes, in, in a couple of different ways. I, I would argue more that in Jared's point, it's something that's more easily done and how you described it. All those things could actually work on first try. Yes. The puzzle that's in the game that we're thinking of, we thought you could just do it in one try like and logically you could that's that's what well, was so frustrating you okay you 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 could potentially if you were strong enough quote unquote to do what you needed but have you not it made, seen have you not seen our logo we are like jacked like yeah, okay. yoked individuals uh yeah okay <laughs> um yeah i mean it's that thing but i'm just it's real like i think jared's going on a little bit too much of a tangent in the wrong direction but i i know what you mean it's that thing of it feels like you're making you are making the right choice but technically you're doing it too early in and, terms and of or you need pe- some other element to make it easier to complete that goal right but then you're you're penalized for the trying but correct you are penalized in the game for trying anything that isn't the exact right thing the first time right and i'm saying that it i feel like there only needs to be one way for you to logically do that thing because we tried other things too and it was and then in other situations that worked i just didn't if the game is going to be scored i don't think there should be room for interpretation yeah i agree i think specifically the one puzzle that we really felt it on i think that's the only puzzle that it really hit us i think honestly all the other ones did a perfect job of combining the items and it made a lot of sense i'm going to push back on this because i think there was too much room for interpretation in a lot of those puzzles i think we got it because we started to learn but I even felt that in adventure games, I could see logically in a real world environment how if I did this with these items, this would work. And I think that's one of the advantages of escape room puzzles is because they usually only lead to this one answer. Like this has to be the answer. You can only use the pig pen cipher to get to this answer. But when you're dealing with real world scenarios that require you the manipulation of physical items, imaginatively you could accomplish some of those things and i don't have a problem with the game spitting back at me and saying like oh hey you tried to use a screwdriver to pick a lock but that didn't work but i do have a problem with hey you tried to use a screwdriver to pick a lock and that didn't work minus one point i i feel like we could argue about this a lot because i (laughs) i felt like i think the biggest thing that hit us in this game because i want to move on to our next section is with how we normally play games, this game made us play differently and it was great. But I think our reason we had our room for improvements was because we're so used to playing a certain way. And this game said, you need to take all the time you need 
and make and like logically think of all the steps you could take to do that perfectly the first time. And I think sometimes we rush that. Disagree. Okay. Fair. Well, um, we're going to wrap up the first section. Overall, we really enjoyed the game. Honestly, yeah, I, it was, I, I don't want to, I don't want to dig myself into a hole here. Yeah, I'm you've, not trying to... you've went down a train of, of went from small, minor, like uh, room for improvements that you really went on a tangent about. I'm competitive. I can't help it. Oh, I know. Uh, trust <laughs> me. We're both competitive. I just, uh, this would be a fun. I don't, I don't think any of these things, I want to be very clear. I don't think any of these things should dissuade you from picking up this game. Oh, 100%. This is, a, this is, in my opinion, a very special game. It's very unique. It is, it is, in my opinion, in its own category. Yeah. And I think it's worth playing. But you know me. I can just latch on to, to small things and ride that train to the end of the line. That's true. Well, that's going to wrap up our first section. Stick with us for Puzzles to the People. Solve puzzles, write reviews, win prizes. It's time for Puzzles to the People. Zach, I'm, I'm so sorry to hear about the robbery at your house last night. Are you okay? I'm fine. But Jared, literally no one broke into my house last night. But I do feel a little upset because you did stand me up for game night. Okay. Your text literally reads, break in tonight, exclamation point. Jared, that's literally the name of the game. It's a really cool new concept where you're trying to solve puzzles to break into the game instead of out of it. All their games follow really cool narratives about real-life places. We really should have people check it out in our show notes to get details on where they can pick up this game. So it's called Break In? Yes, it's Breaking In, not Breaking Out. I'm sorry. It's okay. Well, welcome back to the Puzzles of the People. In this section, this is a, a fun section to say the least. Um, we do two different types of styles. We sometimes discuss topics that kind of go along with the category game or the, the series as a whole, or just our space and kind of have like a fun discussion back and forth, kind of discussing what we, we agree on or what we think could change or whatever's going on right now. The other style that we've done in the past, which I'm kind of hoping comes back at some point is that we kind of look at people's like reviews or things like that. And we discuss them and we kind of go like, okay, I agree with that or disagree. And then Jared gets to play along with me and kind of have that back and forth between each other. Well, it's your lucky day. Are we finally going back to reviews? We are. Well, I, I just thought this was a really great game to go back to reviews because I think there's a high chance that some of what we might read is controversial. Okay. Yeah. But, but I didn't want to go to the public for this. Okay. So what I did is I just went to 50clues.com. Okay. And I think it's always interesting the reviews that the company or the individual creating the game decides to post because you're going to post your good stuff, right? Like we do this at the escape rooms. You know, I'm not going to post the guy who leaves the one star review and goes on a rant, but I want to see if we agree with what a lot of the reviews that they decided to leave are. Okay. I'm, I am intrigued by that. So we've got five different reviews here. Okay. Some of these review sites you may recognize some of them. You probably won't. That is okay. They're based on specific games though. So we've got to be really careful here to narrow that experience to the game that it's being talked about. Okay. So the first one, this is from the game shelf, larger reviewing. They review a lot of different games. They said eight out of 10. It's our favorite escape room in a box that we've tried. So I guess that's a little bit of a two part. Would you give it an eight out of a 10? And 
Is it your favorite escape room in a box that you've tried? Are we talking about the whole series or is this a review specifically for this one is, game? This is just based on Pendulum of the Dead. Okay, cool. The, which for those listening is part one. That is the first game. Yes. Ooh, okay. I'm going to give you my personal experience, our, our personal experience with the game. I was really thrown off by how the fir- like how it played in terms of the format, in terms of like how we play games versus it being more like take your time and make logical decisions. Sure. When it comes to those type Correct. of puzzles, yes. Yes. But a lot of them are like, don't take chances, just wait until you know it. It's like we we felt like we rushed a lot or we didn't really get how the game fully played for the first little bit of Pendulum of the Dead. And then it made a lot of sense as we went on. So 8 out of 10, I honestly think, this is my opinion, is a little high. Okay. Just because I've played the other three, two games. So it's kind of now I'm comparing it compared to the other two. Sure. I think it's like a seven. You know, I'm not saying like much lower. It's probably like a seven out of 10, maybe maybe a 6.5. I thought it did a really good job like doing an introduction and as well as like really scaling what the story is going to be in terms of that. It starts off like, okay, it's interesting. You're Maria in this, like trying to escape this mental hospital. And then the first few big shocks happen right before you finish the first game. Right? Yes. I thought it was really good in that part. Now, this is my opinion. Please. No one boo me. (laughs) I don't think it's my favorite, but it is definitely up there. In terms of, I think, what we discussed about in our first section, a lot of the elements in this game I really enjoyed and made it super memorable. I think if it was saying, like, one of the most memorable experiences, it's that. I don't know if it's my favorite escape room in a box-style game, though. It might be my top five, but it's it's not my number one. Sure. I think that's fair. I actually disagree with you on the first. I think this is ranked a little low. Really? Yeah, I, I kind of have it in like the 8.5 to maybe a little bit higher. Okay. Because I think it just did so many things well. Like I'd be interested to know where the second point, because I feel like everything that we listed in Room for Improvement is really only enough to take one point off of it. Sure. So I'm wondering what they got caught up on on that other point, because I just think so much of this is carried by what we talked about in the likes. It's so shocking. Nobody else is doing that. Nobody else is putting you in the position of the character, which is the, you could potentially call like the bad guy. Mm. Right. And in, and really leaning into that graphic dark side. And then at the same time, making it look so good and having solid puzzling, I might give it a little bit more. I will agree with you on the other half though that there have been other escape room in a boxes that for whatever reason, maybe I dark isn't my forte. I, I, I think there are other escape room boxes that I like more than this, but this has done some things better oh, than, yeah. than some of my favorite I think it's games. more memorable than a lot of them. I've yes. hundred percent. Okay. So let's, let's move on to the next one. This is talking about white sleep. Okay. And this is from uh, Ali Plays A Lot, another reviewer. They wrote, our protagonist is determined to do anything to save the world. And no, we are not talking about buying eco-friendly stuff and protesting against global warming. We are talking about violence and unorthodox crazy stuff. And this is exactly what I liked about the game. Agree or disagree? I 100% agree. I really feel this in white sleep. So white sleep, just to give you my preference of the three is my favorite. I'm with you. I like a large mind. I took white sleep, which is hilarious. Like how often is like the sequel, like the, the pinnacle. And I totally agree with you. Yeah. I think white sleep was my favorite by a mile as well as my favorite card from all of the games that is sitting about on my desk. Currently that will go above my desk is from white sleep. It is, 
insane what goes on in the second game compared to the, which a lot happens in the first, the very end. And then like I said, three has a lot that's crazy, but it's tame compared to what <laughs> we, what we've learned. But the second game goes, okay, we're going to do everything that you possibly think is morally incorrect and throw it at you and you get to do it. So have fun. And it was just such a blast that by the end of the second game, Jared, will we'll, we'll talk about this. We have a, um, we have a basketball hoop in our office and after the game was done, we were just shooting hoops, discussing a little bit about what we we're talking about for the week. And then I started joking that when I was shooting, that I was going to make quotes as if I was Maria, <laughs> I'm going to do these, things. I'm going to do these things. I'm going to stop Leopold and just made these very, in a, like, you know, obviously I'm kidding, but we joked that someone, one of our neighbors would hear me say all these things out loud and be like, oh, that guy's a psychopath. But yeah, I, I loved, I really loved that in this game, you could do anything to try to quote unquote, save the day in your mind. Yeah, I, I totally agree with this review as well. And, and with you, it's exactly what was thrilling about the game. I don't know if I'd use the word enjoyable, uh, but I like the word liked because that's why I did like it. But I mean, there were moments where I was sad about the thing that we had to do in order to move the game forward. Yeah, I think Jared struggled with it more than I did. I definitely embraced it by the end because I found it hilarious. I, not in terms, okay, I'm not a, I'm not some <laughs> horrible guy, but I really liked, I enjoy playing into it, especially when my character's like, I'm just going to do we it. We just lost half of our, our listeners based okay. off that comment alone. Okay. <laughs> All right, the next review, uh, and this is someone who played it at a game festival. This is again about Pendulum of the Dead, which is the okay. first one. They just wrote something simple, exciting, fun, and nicely dark. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this already. I agree with it. It's It was exciting. It was dark. And it was fun. I really enjoyed the entire experience. And I did enjoy Pendulum and the Dead as its own game. Yeah. I, the phrase that I latched onto was nicely dark. Yeah. Like that was achieved very well through yeah. all of the different things that we've talked about. And I think if I would have played this at the game festival, I probably would have had similar things to say. Yeah. The next one is from Patrick Girk, and this is again about Pendulum of the Dead, the first one. They wrote, 50 Clues offers outstanding puzzles and a tense story. Yeah, I mean, it definitely has a very tense story, and I thought the puzzles in the games were very well done. Very simple answer to that. Yeah, I thought it had really great puzzles, mm -hmm. and definitely the, the part here is the tense story. Like, as soon as you start becoming more and more Maria and start doing some of those things it amplifies the story greatly. Oh yeah. Because it, it's different. I think about this compared to like USB escape mm -hmm. and USB escape is happening to you. Yes. But this is kind of the opposite where you are the doer. Yeah. And that brought about a different type of intensity that I wasn't the one being scared. I was often the time, oftentimes the one inflicting terror. I think I would say like, I I'm just now thinking about putting myself in the position of some of these other characters that we ran into the game. And I'm <laughs> here's the thing, Jared, at least you can say that you could just blame that I was the one who did it. Cause I really played into it. So you, Jared was just some small person that I carried around with me that made me that helped me with the. Crimes. I was I was Zach's little angel on the shoulder that just got smacked around a lot. Correct. Well, <laughs> we'll make it that way so you can feel less. I could sleep at night. Yeah. Okay. This last review is from Jesper, and maybe it's Hesper. I don't know. I've worked so hard on our yeah. on our Danish. They said it's a new and exciting angle on the whole escape room genre in which the puzzles feel pertinent 
and connect wonderfully with the story. Thoughts? Okay, I agree that I I like I enjoy the game and it brings an interesting element that I'm not used to. Now, I'm going to give a little bit of a backlash towards the the comment in terms of I don't feel like it's crazy new in terms of like it innovates a whole new genre or anything like that. It it definitely brings in some really cool elements that I found where it was like neat to mess with in terms of what we're like what me and Jared are used to. But it's not like earth shattering. Correct. And it's, not, it's how a good game should be. Correct. It's great. And I'm not like, so this is not, not a like this. It's just the, it's the fact that it's, this isn't the new Mona Lisa. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, I'm not saying it like as a, like I said, that's not a diss. Mm-hmm. It's just, it was awesome and it did some really cool things, but it's not like the world changed dramatically. 50 clues dropped and now gaming will never be the same. Or 300 years advanced. <laughs> and that sounds really mean. I, I loved the series. It's, just, I, yeah. it's being realistic. There's a there's a second trilogy coming out, and I very much want oh, to Oh, I'm play. so excited. I want to see what happens in this, especially since you're playing on the other side. Here's where I took a little bit of... I want to put a little bit of dose of reality into this, is I struggled with the phrase, the puzzles feel pertinent. Because you and I have played some games where every single puzzle is beautifully woven into the tapestry of the narrative. Yeah. And I would say a majority of them are. Oh yeah. But it doesn't, it's not like every single puzzle. What I think they're trying to get at is it was really fun to jump from escape room style puzzling and kind of the rationale narrative rationale in this game Mm -hmm. is that, you because of the drugs that you were on in the asylum that you've forgotten. So you've kind of created a fail safe Yes, that you're constantly remembering and helping yourself remember. And that's where the escape room. But I think what they're trying to hint at is the other style of puzzling in the game where it's these logical maneuvers and manipulatables of physical spaces where you're having to do things so that the story accurately plays out. Yeah. And that I agree with. That is fun. We saw that in adventure games. We've seen that in some other. That's fun because it does play into more of a realistic situation. But some of the puzzles that we did in terms of the escape room puzzling, well, you know, they just felt like puzzles added into the middle of the story, right? We did something that was decoding. Well, you know, this isn't a secret agent adventure that we're on here. They were trying to hide information from their self. That doesn't always feel super pertinent to the bigger narrative, but it's a fun puzzle. It moved along the story Yada, yada, yada. The only way I could say it makes sense is is because of the whole narrative being that you are this person that's been in a mental asylum and, you, and you've created this. Like, it, let's say if they've made the narrative more open-ended, which it is to a degree, that it, it makes sense to the character while you're doing it. But, like, to me, it's like, why is there a random, like, cryptex like that? Yeah. Like, what? why does that exist for this scenario? Yes. I mean, it's cool, but it doesn't, like... right. And that's the stuff where I think like it's comments like these where Zach and I get a little puzzle snobby. Like we're not, we're not, uh, cause we, you know, we jump into this, like what we're oftentimes fighting for the average person, the average puzzler would fully enjoy this and say that comment. But I think like for people like you and me who have played hundreds of these games, wow, you're flexing on people. Like, it's like, we can get a little snooty sometimes. I mean, we definitely can. Yeah. And I think we might be a little bit on this, but still, I think it's worth talking about. Like there are games that I feel like integrate puzzle and narrative better. Yeah. I think no game as as we've said many times before, no game is perfect. Yes. I think we are allowed to have an opinion that is a little bit 
more ours because it's ours. It's not a, we're not opinionating for the common man. It is Jared and Zach who have played games. So we just have our opinion from playing other ones. That's sure, fun. Sure. But overall, I feel like these reviews, I could see why they were chosen. They do embody what is great about this game. Oh, they do. Yeah. That is going to wrap us up for our middle section. Questions for creators coming at you next. There are some awesome people who make the puzzles we love to solve. This is Questions for Creators. Zach, you never responded to my email about the rally next week. The rally? Yeah, dude, they're trying to tear down the old tree off of Maine. That's a bat-coon habitat. I think you mean raccoon. <laughs> Zach, next thing you know, you'll be calling swargators alligators. Swargators? Bat-coons? Jared, what are you talking about? Dude, everyone knows that the American Society for the Protection of Magical Creatures spends countless hours trying to preserve the habitat of these magical and magnificent creatures. Do you want your kids growing up in a world where there's no lobguins? Do I? Well, that's a fair question. Lobguins are actually very temperamental creatures, but sometimes I can do without them. But what everyone should do is head over to theaspmc.org, that's T-H-E-A-S-P-M-C.org, and sign up to help their investigations. Only you can prevent the extinction of these magical creatures. Welcome back to Puzzling Company. We're here in the final section of our show called Questions for Creators. And I'm super pumped to have our guest on today. I really love it when we get to interview people that don't live in our same locale. And our guest today is coming all the way from Denmark. So super excited to have him on the show. And I don't want to waste any more time. Let's jump right in. So tell us your name, uh, a little bit about the company, its history, and a little bit about yourself. My name is Jeppe Norska. I am from Copenhagen in Denmark in Europe. Uh, and I'm a game designer. And uh, since uh, 2019, I've been doing this full time. Before that, I have made like half-time maybe games for some years uh, but then other publishers have published my games so I started uh, doing board games in 2012 for like in a serious way with the aim of getting them out there in the world but before that I made like learning games uh, or educational games I guess you call them for like uh, all kinds of weird educational games. Uh, and that, let me take you through some of them. But it's like, uh, one of them was like for the uh, aviation industry, for uh, airline crews, for uh, both uh, pilots and cabin crew to make them have better communication when they're about to crash the airplane. So that's a, a game that is used by 20 different airline companies. So that instead of uh, watching a slideshow every year where it says, don't panic, and they actually play this simulation game uh, to uh, figure out some problems uh, that we uh, that we present for them, like some campaigns. We have like three different uh, flights uh, flights that we introduce them from, uh, and then they have to discuss what to do. Where we don't we don't put any time pressure on them, but they have like uh, four different uh, stuff that they can. Uh, that they, they have maybe four or five problems, but they can only uh, ha they only have time to solve three of them. So they have to just let something uh, solve itself or just ignore it. And then we will see what happens. And then during the game, uh, we will see some discussions around the table. 
whether to let people die in the cabin or to make the planes fly more safe and uh, stuff like that. It's, it's really interesting also to see that uh, pilots are uh, acting differently in this game than uh, just normal people, which is good because they actually care about flying the plane and, and not caring as much about what happens in the cabin. But I also have done like educational games of uh, being an electrician at a slaughterhouse uh, or to make it more interesting to become a farmer. In, like, uh, and we have a situation in Denmark where it's, uh, you have to uh, take up a lot of debt if you want to start as a farmer. And uh, even farmers, they don't want their children to become farmers. But then I would have I had to make like a game that would make it more interesting. So it's, yeah, it's not easy and it's not always the most funny tasks to do these games, but it's very um, I, I, I learned a lot of it uh, from it. And um, so I've been doing so. So then in uh, 2015, I started doing like more like a, also puzzle games, but puzzle games that are like modular puzzle games that where you have to recreate patterns, uh, you have to figure out how to um, stack things to yeah, solve, solve stuff. And which is it's just a, a kind of games that I found out that I have uh, a, a talent to, to make. Uh, and um, where like in the Euro games or um, other strategic uh, board games, it can be really tough because there are so many good games out there and uh, the competition is really hard and there's not that many consumers that actually like these games. So I'm more like into the kind of more into the mass market. That's what I attack it. So back in 2017, I think uh, I made the first like puzzle uh, puzzle game for with a narrative um, for this escape room in a box kind of game uh, I made it for a game convention in Hobro in Denmark and you think it's it's just a small town in Denmark and we we meet like 1,000 people and I've been there since 1992 so it's most of my life I've actually been attending this role-playing game convention every Easter and people come from all around the world to see this convention because for the, for the role-playing part, it's really, uh, it's just really uh, special, uh, I could say. There is nothing like that in the world, I guess. Um, so it's really uh, uh, interesting. And also the, the, the so, I, I, so I tried to make this escape room in a box for the board game uh, competition there. And uh, I found out that people were really into it and people wanted to uh, buy the game, even though they tried playing it. Like they also wanted to buy the game, which I thought was a bit weird because they could, they can only play it once because then they know the story and the riddles. Uh, but that really, uh, that really gave me the, uh, the, the idea that this could be something to explore even further. So I just uh, promised that I would uh, do a trilogy of games. Uh, and I spent a whole year just doing this game. And yeah, then it got published. And uh, yeah, and, and, and since 2019, since it came out, I've just been uh, continuing doing this. That's basically cool. where I am now. So well, you kind of went into your backstory of kind of explaining where you've came from in terms of making certain style games, like educational, um, these simulation, the, the different like styles. 
what did you learn or what are some lessons that you learned from all those experiences when it came to making like the 50 clues series? If you compare like a modular puzzle game, but that's what I call them, but it's not necessarily the best term and compare them to these narrative puzzle games. I, I usually think of them as like, now I can put like uh, 25 games into one game. <laughs> that's like, because I have to do 25 different puzzles and put it into a single game, which is kind of creatively, it's really uh, challenging and funny. And it's and that's why I, uh, I like the uh, game design business uh, because it's just so hard and so interesting that uh, I just I, I can't I can't do anything else than that actually <laughs> so that's what I want to do so the main difference is that you actually put all these different puzzles into a box instead of just doing one that is modular they, they, um, I what I did for, with the, what I do with some of the puzzle uh, modular puzzle games is that I use software to uh, to do uh, some calculations on how to solve the puzzles. Uh, I need to figure out how many ways can this pattern be solved with these uh, blocks or stuff like that, and which my father has helped me out with. Actually, I I tell him how I want the software to behave and how it needs to calculate the stuff. And then he uh, makes some software that is fast enough to calculate these millions of, uh, of uh, calculations and to figure it out. Uh, but I don't need that for the, uh, for the narrative uh, puzzles. That's more like, I just need one thing to work out. But it's, uh, there is a lot of inspiration and there is also, sometimes I put in puzzles that are actually old ideas for, for other, puzzle games but what i left i don't know i still do the other puzzles on the side sometimes because i just can't i i i just need to make them as well i think yeah one thing that we really liked is that you made the player play this really complicated character um, who can kind of come off a little bit like the bad guy why did you make that decision what did what did it take for you to come to that conclusion it, it actually started at the game convention of Festival uh, back in 2003 or four. So we are way back in time. I did write a role-playing game scenario, uh, what do you call it, uh, with a friend of mine uh, where we made this world building where we tried to make like a horror board or a horror role-playing game where you actually... Uh, uh, thought that people could transfer their um, their soul into other human beings and stuff like that, and uh, that didn't work out very well at all. <laughs> so uh, flash forward a lot of years, I just I fell in love with the world, but we just couldn't make a narrative that worked out in any way. But then uh, and then I made the first Fifty Clues game also for for this festival game convention and. Um, and this one of my playtesters uh, called uh, Jakob Jesko, he's uh, the, the designer of, uh, of uh, the Love board game. This is embarrassing that I can't remember the title of this game. Bug of Love, it's called. Um, and he was just asking me when he tested the game, he's just saying, but why is the perpetrator doing the way he does? Why is he on a killing spree or in this crime story that I made for the first 50 Clues game called The Ritual. 
And I didn't really have an answer for that. Uh, but the, then I came up with, okay, well, maybe we could change the perspective a little bit. Uh, so that's that's how that's how it ended up with the uh, with the with the trilogy with the Leopold trilogy uh, and trying to to give it a new fresh uh, perspective on that and um, so you get like a more uh, in depth uh, knowledge of what's going on. So you know, with the whole Fifty Clues series, it's very known that this is a kind of a darker series. Isn't made for kids. Can you kind of explain your responses to potentially negative feedback that you get about the game? Because, I mean, there's definitely people who might not like the darker theme or it's, you know, it's crime. It's, there's, you know, there's all these very dark elements that people might not enjoy and might have a lot of negative feedback towards. So how do you, how do you respond to that? Well, I think, first of all, I try not to force anyone into playing these games. It's, uh, first of all, these games are not for everyone, so don't play them if you're not, if you don't feel like that you can um, immerse yourself into an experience that will not leave you in any way with a good feeling in your stomach. I mean, it's it's just like it's fiction. First of all, this is fiction. Uh, and when some people say, "Oh, but you can't do that in a game," well, I just uh, I did, and uh, and of course there are some. There's also some cultural differences. This is like Nordic Noir from uh, from Scandinavia, and we're we don't have a lot of crime in our lives normally, so it's pretty peaceful here in Denmark. And uh, and so there's a of course there's a cultural difference. I mean, uh, so I understand sometimes that people from the U.S. and uh, also Germany and Canada and stuff, they're like more uh, into saying, well, this is not a game for me. Um, and this is, that's okay. I mean, uh, I, at, when I, when I did the, write these games, I, uh, I had, I had an idea that nobody, no publishers would publish these games. Uh, that was why I did uh, self-publish them from the beginning. So, uh, so, but, but, but you just need to understand that it's not, I'm not into like, uh, uh, I don't, well, I, I do have a, like, there, there is like a message in, the, in these games, but it's more like the reality is always pretty uh, sickening. And, um, and I usually try to compare it, well, do you ever see true crime television shows? Or do you ever see true crime, listen to true crime uh, podcasts? Well, then you're into some stuff that is way more sick than I'm doing, <laughs> because that's like real stuff that has happened. And there are like uh, a lot of victims out there still alive experiencing that. It's just made into some uh, consumer product, which I'm not into. So I'm, I also have my limitations and I don't, uh, and I, I don't listen. I, I don't really enjoy um, true crime stuff because it's just too, it's just too much, I think. How do you go about integrating the puzzles into your game and not just having a puzzle in there for puzzles' sake? Yeah, this this is uh, actually uh, maybe some of the mo one of the most interesting things with these games is actually how to make uh, some the puzzles relevant, which is also connected to the choice of narrative and choice of the world building. It's, it's really maybe one of the hardest parts of all this is 
how to make a, a narrative where it's possible with these puzzles in some way. It just it needs to be uh, not realistic, but just just a little bit uh, more realistic than what we used to. Uh, and and that's uh, that's really hard. But I, I I start with the narrative. I start with the storyline, and then that becomes the uh, limitations of the puzzles, uh, which can be very interesting from a creative point of view because uh, it narrows down, sets up these uh, limitations of, of uh, what the puzzle can be, and then you have it's just it makes the creative process easier in some ways uh, and it for sure makes uh, the puzzles more interesting that that you just have these limitations so uh, so I start with the narrative then I know okay how can I make this scene how can I tell this part of the story through puzzles instead of writing down what happens because I I don't like text and puzzles uh, which is also very apparent because there's very little text in the, in, in the story. Uh, so I really tend to how to can I minimize the uh, the, the text uh, and then uh, tell the same things just through these puzzles, uh, which is uh, so I really have every situation can I can I transform this into a puzzle in some way, and then it just goes from there. So can you tell us a little bit about the hardships that you faced throughout, like? maybe potentially making this series of the games you've made, as well as potentially some kind of future things that are coming for 50 Clues or things that you're creating? Yeah, I can I can take you back into the, uh, on, the, on what happened since 2019 since the games came out, uh, because I started uh, back in 2018, maybe, uh, to actually make this trilogy. And then I uh, had to find a printer in the around the world, I asked uh, a lot of the European printers uh, if they could manufacture the games. And I told them I'm going to print like 15,000 copies in total uh, for three languages in English, German, and Danish. It took me six months to get one offer. Or actually, it was one and a half year. It took me one and a half year, and I wrote some of them a few times. It was impossible. So I reached out to Asia and I got the first offer in like uh, six hours. Then I got the first offer and it was very, very competitive. It was really interesting. It was like, wow, okay, but it's not like, it's not that like uh, that I have a, a, that I'm especially fond of producing in, in, in Asia, but I don't really, I don't see that I have any other option when, when communication is so bad with uh, some of the other publishers, which I understand because they're just, they were just uh, very caught up with production of the games in Europe, and uh, they didn't have time for new for new customers. So I understand that they did not prioritize me, but I'm still I'm. I mean, I have a lot of knowledge of, of printing. So I mean, the, when I when I specify what I need, they know exactly what to do with it. So I speak their like printing language. So it's, it was really uh, constraining for me that I could not get these uh, offers. Now that I get the games out, I get some offers, of course, uh, and I have also printed in Europe once uh, for a print run. So it's not impossible now, but it's uh, just it was really hard. So I printed uh, these 15,000 copies in, uh, in Asia, and then I got the, and, and the reason for it was that if, if, you, if I print in multiple languages from the, from the beginning, 
then I'm pretty sure that my technical setup with a web app and stuff that it actually is uh, translation friendly. And also that my puzzles are translation friendly because sometimes you, there's a lot of word puzzles that are just not very easy to grasp if you're, uh, because of, uh, well, language and culture. And there's some, there's some, the problem in Leopold trilogy is actually that uh, there is an, some address syntax that is different in, uh, in Denmark and compared to other countries. So that's, uh, that's a problem. Uh, and, um, but you can see it from, actually there are hints for it. So you can of course solve the puzzle even if you're not from Denmark. It's just a bit harder because you have to also figure out the address syntax. And also I discussed with some people, should I localize or translate? If I localize, then it would require a lot more of uh, maps of uh, the countries. Is there a sea or is there a lake nearby? Does it actually, how does this work in, if you're in a country that does not really, uh, that isn't close to the sea or it, how, how do I actually handle all that? So I just figured out, okay, this, the location is Denmark and Sweden and we cannot, it's just a translation. People will just have to understand. So I, and, and by doing these three languages from the beginning, then I was sure that it would work out in these, in these languages. Then I could add even more languages later on. So I took these uh, two of the versions, English and German, to the biggest uh, uh, board game convention uh, in the world, uh, Essen. This uh, international uh, spiel talk, uh, I don't know what they call it. It's just called Essen in Denmark, and probably by most people. A lot of people attend that. Um, so when I went there, I had my, uh, I, I had been, I had been there for the last five years up to just uh, pitching games to other publishers. So I knew my way around, uh, and I knew what to, uh, um, to do. Uh, so. Uh, Besides of having this very small booth in a very in the least attractive part of the of the Mesa halls, I, I did something which I think myself is very clever. Uh, I had to, I printed some free games. Uh, these are like uh, it's printed on one sheet, and then uh, the paper is uh, perforated uh, into cards, so you could actually. Uh, rip the sheet apart into 18 cards and I could make like a very small free puzzle game uh, that I couldn't just hand out because it's uh, it's not, it, it costs so little to produce. So I handed out like 4,000 free mini games because if you are, I, I, I cannot uh, distribute stuff inside the halls outside my booth, but I can distribute stuff outside the halls. I mean, on the street, nobody can ask you not to distribute stuff or hand out stuff. So I had uh, some helpers uh, standing at the entrances and handing out like 4,000 games. But I mean, who can say no to, hey, would you like a free game? It's not a brochure. It's not an advertising. It's a free game. How can you say no? So everybody picked it up, or at least 4,000. And then during the game convention, or 900 of them were activated uh, during the evenings and stuff because people actually played them. And then they came back to the booth. Uh, of course, it said on the inside of the game, it said where to find the games. And they would come to the booth and buy the games. Or they would sometimes just be at the booth and they would look at the game, look at this uh, free game. 
And they would just look at the uh, illustrations and stuff, and then they would say, oh, this is for me. Uh, let me buy the games. Or this is not for me. And they would, uh, they would, they would just uh, continue uh, around the scene. So that way, I could sell a lot of games without them having to stay at the booth and play the games. Because you don't have, I have, I have 10 square meters. I cannot, I don't have any space for people uh, sitting down and playing the games and then 50% of them buy the game. I can't do that. And if people play the game, why would they buy them? Because they, I mean, they can only enjoy them once. So that's the reason behind these free mini games, which is also distributed in some in the UK and Germany and other countries. We, we just place them at the shops to, in the, for the retailers to give them out. Also, escape rooms uh, have the free mini games, hand them out to your customers, and then they may they probably or maybe they will buy the trilogy from you. So this is this is uh this was really a major part in this. And then I had a lot of meetings at the game convention. With a lot of publishers and distributors, uh, and um, and uh, I did make some deals with uh, some countries, and then there were some friends at BlackRock Games in France uh, that asked me if they should help me getting the games out even in more distant regions where I couldn't uh, really um, sell the games myself. Uh, and I, at that time, I really didn't have any more leads. I did not have leads for the U.S. I did not have leads for Canada or south uh south america or asia i just didn't have any leads uh so um so they uh of course they they charge a little fee for that but then they helped me doing these uh doing this export to the rest of the world which is really really nice because then i can concentrate designing games and uh of course i need to uh check out the, all the print runs and check out the stuff and help people uh, translate it uh, just to make sure that there are no mistakes in the puzzles. And, but it's just really, I can, I, I can concentrate on doing new stuff, which is really nice. So I, I'm very uh, happy about the collaboration with BlackRock Games. Um, so uh, this is the reason why it's out there in like 14 or 15 languages now, uh, or it's not, it's not finished it's in production for the last few uh, for the last few uh, uh, languages but it's really uh, reaching a lot of uh, people out there uh, which i was not uh, i would never have been able to do that uh, to pull that off myself because i'm just a one-man company i don't have any partners uh, involved which is also interesting. I'm getting a trainee next year uh, to make some new narratives, actually. It's very interesting because uh, now I made like these two trilogies uh, and I need to, I think I need to try to uh, have some inspiration from other people to help uh, creating new narratives because this can go in all directions and I just need to figure out what is interesting, what is, uh, so, so I have one, um, game designer approach me and uh, we're going to see next year if uh, if something interesting is coming out from that I'm sure that will be I'm sure it will be very very interesting and then on the side I just do I do my other puzzle games which I cannot show yet but that will be a series of puzzle games as well but those are in the modular puzzles more like multiplayer uh, logic stuff and our last question is, tell us about what else you like playing that our listeners would love to check out. Anything could be 
board game, video game, a similar puzzle tale type of game? What should we be checking out? The, the game that impressed me the most the last year that I've been playing uh, is actually on the, uh, the Quest uh, VR headset. Uh, Oculus Quest, actually. I don't, I'm not into computer games. I'm not into, I don't even do mobile gaming and I don't play that many board games. You know, there are people that enjoy uh, playing with Lego and there are people that enjoy building Lego. And I am the last one uh, kind of kind of guy. So I don't play that many games. But uh, what really impressed me was the, uh, the room uh, made their uh, virtual reality version uh, of their game and that was just impressive I mean because if you want to have a solo ex- escape room experience then a virtual reality headset is uh, is maybe uh, the right medium because when we play there is no reason to do I mean in my games the reason why everything is on the cards on the, on the table is just to have a social experience if I wanted a solo uh, escape room experience, I would go to the computer or even better, I would go to a virtual reality headset uh, because that's just where the there's no reason to not go there. Uh, but the, And then I found out that the room was just so amazing. Also with the, with the, uh, the, the user experience was perfect. Uh, everything was just so, it was just so smooth. Uh, from a player perspective, even that if you're not, I mean, I'm not into playing this game, so I'm not that used to um, uh, any kind of uh, how you do stuff. I just need to be able to play it without any knowledge. And uh, and I could do that, and it was just fun all the way through. And that was really amazing. I didn't expect that. Okay, so, um, well... It's, I'm not that active on social media and stuff, uh, but the, but I uh, I am mostly on Facebook uh, most of the time. And uh, and besides of that, uh, all the games are on on 50clues.com. Uh, this is where you start the games, and this is where you uh, read about the the different games. And sometimes I even write when they're being released. But it's really difficult with the English version because it's. It is out for the second trilogy is out in Canada. It's coming out in the US, but UK is, well, they have to wait for a a long time. Uh, And then I have the English version in Denmark as well, but I cannot uh, ship them to the UK and I can ship them abroad, but then they will have some in Sweden and they will maybe uh, send them to the UK or other parts of the world. So it's, uh, yeah, it might be, a little hard to figure out how to get the games. But the first trilogy is out now in a lot of uh, languages. That's uh, That has been very interesting. And I hope that all the languages will also be having the uh, the second trilogy and uh, whatever is coming in the future. Well, Yepi, we just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for allowing us to play your creations. We enjoyed them very much. Yes, thank you. If you are interested in picking up a copy of 50 Clues, just like Yepe said, you can go to 50clues50clues.com and you can actually pick this up in a lot of different languages, yeah. which is really exciting. Very, oh, awesome. very international friendly game. 
but be sure to also go to their social media, shoot them a like, shoot them some love. If you've played this game already and you liked it, it's so helpful to leave a company a review. Same thing for us, right, Zach? Yes. So there are a different, few different ways you can support us. Uh, the first is go to wherever you listen to this podcast and leave us like a review or leave us like a five-star review or like us, whatever it is that that platform does. What you can also do is you can go and follow us on social media. So you can go to Instagram at Puzzling Company or you can go to Facebook at Puzzling Company and find us there and give us a like or follow us so you can see more updates on next episodes. Well, Zach, we tricked everybody last week. We told them that this week we would be playing and talking about Key Enigma, about playing Hack Forward. Clearly, 50 Clues is not Hack Forward, but that's okay. That's not a big deal. Next week, hopefully, we will be reviewing Hack Forward, which we've had a lot of fun playing and we're looking forward to getting on the show. Yep. That really is going to wrap us up. For Jared and Zach, this has been Puzzling Company. See you guys. Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Puzzling Company and online at puzzlingcompany.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, keep puzzling. This has been Rogue Media Network Podcast.